Hello guys, welcome to episode 3 of What The Fuck Is Going On And today we're bringing you guys a serious topic And we love to joke around with you guys, we love to laugh with you guys But I feel like sometimes because of the society that we live in We do need to be serious and talk about issues that are affecting people all over the world And this episode is all going to be about um, sexual violence And as you guys know, we love some good statistics So I'm just going to read out a few numbers for you So, in the year to end March 2017, the Crime Survey for England and Wales estimated that 20% of women and 4% of men experienced some type of sexual assault since the age of 16, which is equivalent to about 3.4 million females and 631,000 men. And also... Um, 510 women and 138,000, no, sorry, 510,000 women and 138,000 men aged between 16 and 59 have experienced sexual assault in the last year. So those numbers are very worrying. And we have a special guest joining us today who's going to tell us about her story. And we're just going to just let Erica take the episode and see where this takes us. But yeah, Erica, thank you for joining us and thank you for coming to speak about such an issue that a lot of people wouldn't feel comfortable talking about. And yeah, if you could just go straight in and just tell us your story. Yeah, uh, sure. Thank you. And um, just thank you for bringing me on here to talk about this because it is such an important topic that affects so many people. And yeah, so um, thank you for creating a platform to share this information because it's really important. So just thanks for that. Um, And yeah, so a little bit about me and my story. So um, in 2014, um, when I was studying at university in Nottingham, I was um, sexually assaulted on my way home from a yoga class. And um, it was like seven or eight in the morning. It was a really early class and this man followed me and um tried to assault me and he you know um grabbed me and and tried to tear my clothes off and I absolutely lost my shit and I thought that I was going to be fighting for my life I thought that he was going to kill me so I just started fighting like crazy which is just some freak way to react that like you have no control how you react in this situation and in my situation I was very fortunate that my body chose to fight and you know I have no control over that so just you know to put that out there um and yeah so I chased after him which was really fucking dumb because you definitely shouldn't chase someone who's just tried to rape you um but I just thought fuck you how dare you turn to look at me like as if I'm gonna be on the floor crying like I'm gonna fucking put your Head, head off um, so I chased after him then realized that was a terrible idea and went home collapsed on the floor my housemates um, all kind of came to help me and and they got me to call the police straight away and I didn't really know what to do but they literally had just handed me a phone with the police on the phone and the next thing you know, know I was in the police station making an official report um, and they were very very keen and the police were very helpful in that moment um, to just you know because they actually already had had an idea who it was um because as it turns out the person who assaulted me has been in and out of jail five times now uh, originally for a murder for a gang related murder when he was a teenager so you know the fact that I fought this man off and chased after him when he is literally a convicted murderer is absolutely fucking crazy thinking back to it and you know like I said I had no control over my response but my response managed to just get my I mean I was still assaulted and I'm not going to diminish my trauma by saying just because I wasn't raped that it wasn't it hasn't been incredibly traumatic for me but um you know I, I did manage to get the best out of the situation so I went through court and um, put him in jail for seven years 
which um, the police were all very helpful in, in that whole process. But, you know, two days before he assaulted me, he followed a 16 year old girl home and tried to break into her house. So they were already looking for him. You know, he was when when he assaulted me, he was waiting around on a street corner, just waiting for a victim. And I, he just chose me. And, you know, I was I was aware that he was following me. I was aware that he was there. So when he attacked me, I responded so quickly that, you know, um, I was I kind of in some in some kind of fucked up way, got away kind of lucky. But I mean, it still happened and it's still, you know, it's still very real. But um, yeah, that's so that's what happened to me. And um, and it sent me and it was on my final three months of my degree and it really shot my world into pieces. I think I'd lived in this really protected bubble my whole life up until that point. And when that happened to me and I realized, you know, it was broad daylight, I'm, wear, I'm not wearing provocative clothes and all of the biases and all of the victim blaming judgments that we all hold really came to a surface to me and made me realize that I'm not safe at any moment in my life. And that's really fucked up to get, I've got to 20 years old and to have that, that, reality bubble popped so for me that was that was a really big part of it um and at university I was in therapy and they were really um you know extremely forgiving for me not forgiving but um you know very supportive to me and you know I had an extension and I ended up graduating with a first which was just absolutely wild to me at the time because I was convinced that I was going to fail and that what had happened to me had just had such an effect that I wasn't going to come out with my degree and that was at the time the only thing that was driving me was that I'm not having that man take my degree away from me um but I came out with the first so it worked out well um but yeah it's led me on a real journey um of educating myself uh, within the sexual violence world and you know I guess that's that's how you've come to find me and, and invite me here to share my story so you know just thanks again for creating this space yeah thank you I mean you that was uh, such an incredible story obviously we didn't know all the stuff about you fighting him off and you getting the first class that is incredible but so when this happened how did your um friends and family react? Um, so initially, um, my friends and my family were all very, very supportive because when this happened to me, like I am the sort of person, if something happens to me, something traumatic, I have this real burst of adrenaline and I'm just like social justice and like want to fight for everyone and want to make a scene and you know shout off the rooftop so I was very very vocal and told everyone in my life what had happened to me because also I wanted to make sure that other people were safe because if this happened to me at 8 a.m walking home from a yoga class what's to say it's not going to stop any it happening to anyone else in my life so I was very vocal from the start and um, my parents came to collect me straight away and, and kind of just whisked me home to care for me at home a little bit um, but then I was so determined to go back to university and to get back into, you know, my education that I think I only spent like three days at home um, and then went back because I just run on adrenaline. Like when I experienced trauma, I just jumped straight back into life because I just I can't handle the chaos of the collapse. And usually the collapse comes later on down the line. Um, but my friends were all extremely supportive. But I really started to notice the kind of questions that people would ask me about what time it was, what I was wearing, who I was with, you know, all of these victim blaming narratives that we tell ourselves, to protect ourselves, to let us believe that that was never going to happen to me, you know, that there was something, some sort of, <laughs> some angle that you could tweak to make sure that that never happens to you. And I started to really realize that this is such a big problem and that there was people that not necessarily tried to silence me in a way, but I am very sensitive and very empathetic and I really take on people's reaction and people's energy. And I started to realize that me shouting about this was starting to make people feel uncomfortable. And I started to silence myself and shut myself down. And it wasn't that the, the love and support of my family and friends wasn't there. It's just this really deep rooted victim blaming culture that we live in that I then started to silence myself, which I still do now. And I'm still trying to, you know, peel those layers off even, you know, what, six years down the line. 
Um, but yeah, I was incredibly lucky to have such supportive family and friends. But unless you have family and friends that work in the field of sexual violence and really understand how it can affect someone, they're not professionals. They can't be there for you because there's things that you might want to share and in feelings and emotions that might come up in your healing process or just in the reality settling of what's happened to you that your family and friends aren't going to be able to say appropriate things to help you. And I, I quite quickly learned that and realized that I needed professional help and that there was only so much that love and support from family and friends could, could do. But I, I was quite blessed that people were very supportive, but I did also have a few people like sort of try to minimize the trauma a little bit and be like, yeah, but you weren't actually raped. Like at least you weren't actually raped. At least you got away. And it's like, although yeah, there's a silver lining to that. I've still experienced serious trauma that's I'm going to is going to affect me for the rest of my life, you know. Like no matter what you do to heal from this, it's it's an it's an experience that you will take forever unless you unless someone creates someone creates some kind of magical wand to just wave away the bullshit, it's unfortunately still going to be there for a lot of people. Um, yeah. um. I just have a question about, uh, actually I actually have two questions, but the first one was about um, the court process because a lot of victims tend not to take it to court because they feel like it's going to be dragged on for ages and we're not going to get anything out of it. Just someone who's been through it, what was that process like for you? And also my other question, which I think you will answer later on, is you know about the trauma of it because as you said, there are people trying to minimize your trauma, but like you know, trauma is real and it does affect areas of your life. Like, is that like, I know you're obviously a strong person, but like, do you see that in your everyday today life? You're like, oh, the reason I'm doing this right now, it's because this happened to me. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So the first question was that actually I had quite a positive experience with the police. Um, They did offer, I think they did offer me an ISFA, which is an independent sexual violence advisor, which um, anyone who's experienced sexual trauma um, and is going to a rape crisis centre or a police station or anything like that, they by law should offer you an ISFA, um, which is a point of impartial advice to just show you the options of what can happen if you want to go to therapy, if you want to go to court, and just impartial advice of the spectrum of your options. Um, and I've done that training. So, um from my own experience of going through court, I had a very positive experience. And although they did actually, when I, when I was originally in the police station, I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. And they were like, don't pick someone randomly because if you do, it'll really weaken your case when we're pretty sure we know who it is because there was a lot of CCTV evidence and all that. So they kind of like ushered me away from picking someone out because I wasn't that clear. Um, and then... Um, I decided that I wanted to proceed with going through court, but they didn't offer me an ISFA again, which I actually, I think at the time I was so stubborn and so like, I'm so resilient, I'm so strong, I'm going to bounce back from this, I don't need your resources, I'm going to be fine, Um, which is just kind of the person I am, which is just kind of slightly stubborn and ignorant in a way, um, and a bit detrimental in some ways. Um, but then I went when the court date actually came up they were like we don't recommend that you go to court because um, this guy is, has, has a quite a profile now this is his third time in jail because I'd googled him and done some research on him and I mean he's uh, obviously murdered people he he the, he came out of jail and was following women masturbating in public and that's what they have on the report so how many other people has he done shit to out and about that didn't report it so I was quite aware that this guy has a bit of a profile and then he'd gone into jail for that come out atta- attacked me and th- providing that the right per- I put the right person in jail because when I picked out the lineup I couldn't find anyone. I couldn't see him. And then there was a, there was a time where I was in uni and I was leaving uni or whatever. And I saw someone in the street that looked like the guy who assaulted me. And I was just fucking freaking out. As you can imagine, I'm just thinking, what, this guy's out on the loose? Like, what the fuck? Um, I don't know if I should be swearing, but I can't really turn it down. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> um, and I called them and they were quite helpful in some ways, but they were just kind of like, you know, we've sent out a team to go and look for him. Um, but, you know, we're pretty certain that the guy who you've put away is the right guy. So then 
when it came to court, they were like, we don't recommend that you come to court because there might be newspapers there. There might be people from his family there. Like you might get questioned by people. Like we don't want to put you in a place of being traumatized by going to court. And I was like, I'm not 100% certain that the guy who they're, who they're charging with my case is the right person. And I could never rest knowing that I didn't even go to see him in court. Like I didn't even go to check it was the right person. And I know that that responsibility is not necessarily just on me, but I went to court and I was confident that the person who I saw was the guy who assaulted me and, and that was all fine. But then, you know, it took quite a while to find out as the court does take a long time to process, um, pro, um, to process sentences. I found out later on down the line that he was in jail, but the, the judicial system has completely failed me in a respect that throughout my ISFA training earlier in the year, I thought I'll just Google him and see like if he's still out, if he's still in jail, because he got seven years for assaulting me and the other girl, um, which I don't know how many other cases were in that court case. Cause after I'd heard my story, I left the courtroom. Cause I was like, I don't want to know how close I was to anything else. So that's enough. Um, and then I found out that he's actually been out of jail since attacking me he got out early he's already assaulted other people and this article i read about him the judge describes him as he is becoming a bit of a nuisance now someone who has sexually assaulted and murdered a fuck knows how many people he's sexually assaulted and raped and also like indecent exposure following women like this man is so fucking dangerous and the judge describes him to a newspaper as a nuisance like the way that we view perpetrators within the sexual violence realm is so, so wrong and is so complexly wrong. Like it's just crazy. So my own experience with the court was quite positive in the respect that, you know, I had quite a fairy tale story that I managed to get him in jail and rah, rah, rah. But it doesn't actually mean shit because what happened to me is not the story for most survivors at all and it's only as I've gone on to do my training and my education that I've realized that my reality is not other people's reality at all and that's that's quite a heavy load to carry when you have your own experience and you see that actually you're not living in reality at all but, so yeah sorry one question but at any point did you fear for your life because obviously this is not you like an uncle who's sexually assaulted you this is someone who kills people that yeah. assaulted you do you did you fear for your life then and now that he's out do you fear for your life um i mean i've come to to learn that i've got pretty good fucking <laughs> i've got pretty good response to being assaulted so but that again that again also doesn't mean shit it doesn't mean i'm going to react like that in another situation but at the time of being assaulted i I actually thought he was going to kill me and that's why I was fighting because I thought this man had a knife and my, my mind was telling me he has a knife he's going to kill you and so I was fighting for my life in that moment and it was only afterwards that I realized he didn't have a knife he was going to stab me but probably with his dick not with a knife it's a different kind of violence but um but yeah I mean thinking that he's out on the street doesn't make me feel any less scared then all scared because actually doing my ISFA training and knowing that the majority of people that experience sexual violence are 90% is from someone that you know so actually I should be more scared of my next boyfriend than I should be of being out on the street because what happened to me statistically is really fucking rare like really rare and we have this story about you know we tell ourselves this story about this like dark like you know this man in a fishing jacket in a dark alley and that's the man who's going to rape you that is not reality that is just not so actually knowing that he's out if anything knowing that he's out doesn't make me feel in danger it just makes me really fucking angry and really clear on my vision of raising awareness for this because this is so wrong this is someone who is clearly very dangerous and the whole judicial system the whole court system the jail system everything needs to be changed like this this issue is huge the way that it impacts the way that sexual violence specifically impacts women is so much more traumatizing than any other violence and there's a lot of science that's been that's been researched into this now that you know we need to look at we need to evaluate the whole fucking system because it's 
you know him him being out when i found out that he was out and i read that article calling him a nuisance i did i didn't necessarily i'm not scared that i'm going to bump into him in the street and that he's going to assault me again i'm not scared of that really but i mean it has crossed my mind but the statistically it could just be anyone else it doesn't have to be him the the chances of it being him again are very very slim um but the chances of it happening happening again are unfortunately not slim it's so wrong the way they belittled like the way they belittled what he did like they made it seem like it, it was just you know a bag of weed that he you know dashed away in a corner or do you know what I mean like it's rape and murder like who are these who are the people in the system and also I thought it was um actually by law like they had to tell you when um the criminal is coming out of jail is that not a thing do they not yep, have to by law by law it is um and i am um starting to think about the next um process because i can sue i can sue the local police for this well yeah. not where i am now i'm in london now but uh, yeah i could actually i actually have a, a suable case against them for negligence and also mm-hmm. negligence for the fact that he was running around for three days between the 16 year old and me they could have stopped it happening to me mm. Um, but again, these issues are so complex because we have such a, as much as I believe in defunding the police, because it's this, it's such a complex issue. We just don't have an, we don't have an equipped way to deal with it. And I think it's because sexual violence has never been viewed in the lens of reality for how it actually affects people. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that's why it's not taken seriously because a lot of the people creating laws are just fucking white straight men and they don't see it because they've never unless it's happened to like their daughter or their wife and even then Mm. this sort of english identity of stiff upper lip and keep calm and carry on it's got us into this really really toxic place where we don't see we don't see sexual violence for what it really is and for me i believe that it's like the secret cancer of our society because it's affecting so many people that the long-term effects of it on your physical and mental health is just absolutely crazy that it's not being it's not being looked at in a different way but i feel like we're in the era of change like we're in the pit of it since things like me too people are starting to wake up to how prevalent this is within our society and i think again it that also comes into like this colonialistic view that we don't have this problem in england it's something that's really you know women's issues and women's rights and rape culture is something that's in it's in other land it's it's not it's offshore it's not here and that's bullshit you know, we're constantly looking at pointing our finger and say, oh, it's much worse in that country than it is here. We have work to do. We have a lot of work to do in this country. So, um, you know, but it starts through conversations like this, which as difficult as they are, you know, it m- makes it a little bit more acceptable and approachable and people are starting to wake up to how big of a problem this is. I don't know if I just went off on a tangent then, but, you know. No, no, you didn't. That was I wanted to say you touched on me too, and I wanted to say, have you found movements like Me Too to be impactful? Because I feel like once something stops trending, people forget about it. But do you feel like Me Too has really um, put a foot down and made sexual assault and sexual violence be known to people? I think, I think it was just sort of chipping away the tip of the iceberg because we for me at the time I was like oh my god this is huge this is going to change the world and I had so many hopes and so much optimism based on it but then since doing my ISFA training which I started in 2018 I've come to realize that actually the Me Too movement has really damaged a lot of things it's actually it's been positive in a way that it's made women wake up and unite and actually start to speak about the violence that they that they've experienced and start to have conversations with men to make men understand the reality of it but actually the way that it's affected the court the way that it's affected courts the way that it's affected women in business is has been detrimental in some ways like i went to this um I went to a lecture about um, female entrepreneurs and how to get funding for female-led enterprises. And there were, you know, all these really incredible women from all different fields of professional world. And they showed us this graph and it was about how female funding completely, funding for female investment and female businesses completely plateaued in 2017. And from someone from a 
from a sexual violence perspective I was like hello me too that's completely makes sense to me that you know there could be an assumption that women can't be trusted because victim blaming starts to rise up again and there was a massive if there was a plateau in just funding of female businesses the knock-on effect it has of um of of men feeling like women can't be trusted but actually because they've not been taught how to seek proper consent that they're starting to think shit have i raped people and it's like that's not a very nice feeling to think to sit with and think shit have i abused someone when it's never crossed your mind before you thought it was all rosy consent and i think that the me too's really started to chip away at the reality and it exposed it worldwide. It exposed Weinstein and, and really started to make movements on Epstein and all of these really big, you know, pivotal figures within Hollywood and within, you know, sort of elitist culture. But actually, like you say, sometimes these movements like, and there's all this momentum and all this activism and then it dies down because everyone then thinks the work's been done. And actually that exposed it and really must have brought out so many really raw wounds for so many people through you know them reflecting on their own trauma and affecting the you know their own experiences um but there's so much more to be done that was just the tip of the iceberg it just got the conversation started but nothing's actually really happened since then in my opinion which I really was waving the flag for me to for so long until I actually did some education I was like oh things have actually got a lot worse since me too that's really just so wow. backwards. Oh it's so backwards, but it's reality, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. My question about trauma and in your everyday life, like, mm-hmm. do you see it? Do you be like, oh my God, the reason I just did this, because that happened to me. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and actually, I've tried so many different healing roots. I've tried CBT therapy, person-centered therapy, ayahuasca, shamanism, distance healing, reiki, like vortex healing, so many different types of healing that it's, I do have to remind myself that healing is not a linear journey and that I get triggered by something and I'm like, oh shit, like, you know, I still walk around with my keys in my hand without, with one headphone in and I'm ready to fucking fight at any second. And that, you know, that trauma is still within my body, still six years later after all the healing that I've done. And although I don't think about what happened to me on a daily basis, that trauma is very much still in my body and I'm still working through it and I'm still processing it. And and I've gone through so many different things. And, you know, at times I've really overwhelmed my body with trying too many things at once because I'm just like, I really believe, I, I really believe in healing and I really believe that people can heal from trauma and that everyone deserves to. It's just about finding the right technique. But unfortunately, when you experience something that affects you on such a deep level as sexual violence does, much more so than PTSD from other kind of trauma you know, and we're only starting to delve into the science of it now. So it's like, who knows if, if you can, if anyone can ever be truly healed from, from sexual violence. But I know that for myself is something that is an ongoing process and that I do have to constantly check in with myself. Like the last few weeks I've been experiencing really intense anxiety and pretty intense depression, which I haven't experienced for a little while. And it comes in waves and you think, God damn, I thought I was over this. And it just comes and bites you in the ass. And it's, you know, and, and it's a process and it's, uh, it's, it's an ongoing process. So I do believe that healing is possible. Um, but yeah, I do, I do notice that the trauma still affects me. Um, and I'm trying to work through that and heal that, but it's, it's ongoing and we can be triggered by anything at any time, unfortunately. So we have to just be really grounded within ourselves and try to be grounded within ourselves. Cause that's not even, that sounds like it's easy in itself and that's not, um, but yeah, I do. I do feel that I've done a lot of work to overcome it. But even, you know, just preparing for this conversation, like, you know, I do a lot of reading around sexual violence and within my work and the Divine Feminine Project, it's about empowering survivors. But I still find myself, you know, people disclosing their trauma to me and me holding space for people. And then I'm like, you know, there's times where people are telling me about some childhood sexual abuse that they've never told anyone in the world. And I want to cry for them. And I'm trying to listen to them. And I'm holding back tears because I feel their pain and like I've become a pinnacle of 
not like I mean I guess yeah I've become a point of, of safety for people and of people to disclose and people to feel safe to share their stories with me and that has an effect on me too and I want to hold the space for people and I've always been so open about it to be able to hold space for people but it's such a triggering subject that it's it's just so complex and when you think you've got it locked down you can just be triggered and it's uh it's yeah it's it's fucking rough and so many people have experienced it and so many people are going through it and they might not even be conscious of how the trauma is affecting them but i think i am quite conscious of it and i try to work on it but I'm not a machine. Unfortunately, I like to think I am a machine and that I can just like switch things off and get things going. But, you know, sometimes I'm flawed by my own emotions. Like it's, it's a lot. Cool. <laughs> um, so f- firstly, I actually do want to ask about, um, you said about you trying to work on the trauma and stuff. Is it that when you're working on the trauma, do you have like an end uh, feeling in mind when you're working on it? So do you feel like you are trying to work towards feeling less unsafe or do you have like a goal in mind that you know okay once I reach this point I'm going to be better or not better because obviously that's you know for lack of a better word um you'd feel safer or do you know what I'm trying to say yeah no I totally when I first started to go on a healing journey um like which was quite soon afterwards um I really just wanted to not be thinking about it on a daily basis and to um because I did go through um a patch when I moved home and like I said what for me I run on adrenaline and when the dust settles and the reality hits um I went into a very dark depression and was very suicidal um and I was just seeking support to just not kill myself at that point um but then once I moved through the place of crisis and not being in a place of I want to just literally be dead every day that I started to the okay like there's more levels to it so at one point my goal was to just be healed from it um and one of the most healing things that I did was um to partake in plant medicine ceremonies and I did have a very profound healing experience um with ayahuasca specifically um where I had a bird's eye um, in, in the ceremony, I went into a bird's eye view and re-witnessed the whole assault and was so traumatized re-watching it, um, but then was given the opportunity to rewire the memory in my brain. And actually, it was like a light switch went off and on. It was like 10 years therapy in one day where I realized that I'm not in that moment right now and that's something that's happened but I'm not there right now so I don't need to feel this fear and this anxiety and up until that point I think about what I experienced nearly every day and when you remember that trauma and you relive that in your brain your body doesn't know the difference between being in that moment and being past that moment so that fear and that tension that anxiety literally runs through your body with cortisol and in that ceremony I had the opportunity to rewire that and to rewrite that and and when I think back to it and when I you know retell it or think about it I don't hold the emotions of anger and violence because I'm a very peaceful person and for so long I was so angry and so violent in my mind about what had happened to me and I'd feel such violent thoughts that was the hardest thing for me to process to process feeling that anger and that violence because it was so unlike me and so far away from who I am and who I strive to be that 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 was the most difficult thing for me to process for a while um but yeah there's for me now there's no goal to it it's just recognizing that I've done a lot of healing work but it's just remembering that I can be triggered and that I can be traumatized really traumatized and that I need to just be sort of grounded within my body to acknowledge when I'm feeling anxiety when I'm feeling depression when I'm feeling you know this deep grief for so many of the people that have experienced what I have and much worse because I really feel that and I really carry that um so yeah there's no like end goal for me right now like I'm in therapy but it's more to deal with anxiety and turns out that there's a lot of validation for my anxiety that's not just of my trauma like where I'm living is not that safe and you know I've experienced a lot of things around where I live but I'm not crazy I'm actually they're not good things to have but in some ways like I think keeps me safe to be hyper vigilant you know like I know I fully am aware of what's going on at all times which is quite annoying because it's really hard to relax but um yeah it's it's there's no end there's no goal to 
to healing it's just um because that's the thing with healing once you heal your own trauma there's layers of ancestral trauma and trauma runs so deep on a cellular level from us from our parents from our ancestors there's so much work to be done that it's not just like oh i'm he magically healed now it's it's unfortunately an ongoing process because once you heal one thing something else comes up and it's we've all experienced trauma from children to from, from our parents from everything you know it's not just about sexual violence either there's other things that come up and and it's just about being extremely kind to yourself and just really trying to find something that works for you which is um difficult but you know try different things to find something that works for you for me right now like yoga and meditation and exercise is the best thing that i can do for myself but i don't mean that I'm not going to be triggered by someone. I mean, just like I had someone come in to come try chat to me whilst I was working out in the park and I'm like swinging a kettlebell and this guy walks over to me and I've got headphones on and I'm like, do I look like I want to fucking talk to you right now? And he's like, how long have you been doing kettlebells for? And I'm thinking like, bitch, I'm holding a weapon. Get the fuck away from me. Like, <laughs> I'm like I mean, I just did yoga, but like, sure. Like, let's <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and you know, it's stuff like that. That's going to happen. That unfortunately happens to women all the time. All the time we have fucking weird men coming up to us, saying shit to us. And a lot of the time it's safer for us to just not react and for us to be polite and passive and, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, fuck mm -hmm. off. But, you know, it's um, most women understand, but a lot of men have absolutely no concept of what it is to be a woman on a day-to-day. -day. Like, it, And how terrifying it is. Because, yeah, you know, a guy, a normal guy might want to chat to you, like, on a deserted road but he doesn't know that you're fearing for your life to him it's like oh i want to chat to this pretty girl but he doesn't know that you're completely fucking freaking freaking out because you think oh my god he wants to kill me like they don't get that concept yeah they can't they just cannot comprehend it because they don't have any lived experience of it so they can't comprehend i mean i think as women generally we are quite empathetic that even if we haven't had lived experience of something we can try to imagine what it feels mm -hmm. like but men don't have a, most men, not all men, mm -hmm. but most men don't have a fucking clue. So, you know, it's quite easy for them to think, oh God, you're actually pretty fucking crazy. And it's like, no, my experiences have led me to be hard, not crazy. Mm -hmm. And actually like, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's just quite funny really. Cause most men just do not have a clue. Do they bless him? Oh, yeah. to live in the level of ignorance. <laughs> and they kind of don't um, understand that like women actually do limit themselves so for example um, we joke around about like you know jogging and stuff but there's certain hours of the day like early in the morning and jogging at night like we just won't do as women because we are fearful that you know we're going to definitely be raped if we go at yep. these certain times you know what I mean so it's quite sad but the other thing I wanted to ask you is about consent now you mentioned earlier that 90% um, of people that did get raped uh, are from people they know and the 10% obviously um, you're in the rare cases of people that were raped by sh or sexually assaulted or assaulted by strangers um, in terms of consent in the UK I just feel like we just haven't got it yet what is your kind of viewpoint in that respect like in terms of you know men understanding that not just because obviously I know men get raped too so I'm not trying to diminish that but not just the fact that you have to ask a woman about you know whether she wants to um, sleep with you but even to the point where if you are in the bed and you're about to have sex and she turns around and says no you do, you're not owed sex you're not you're not mm -hmm. deserving of the sex like what at what point do we start making this conversation you know so um, exposed so that men can actually understand that even if your penis is inside her vagina and Come she on. says no you can still that can still be classed as rape if she does not want it anymore do you know what i mean and i think the only way to to make people understand consent is to take it to a really basic level which um is in schools they're starting to show this uh, little animation called about tea and they're using tea as the form of the consensual thing so if someone's if someone comes to your house and they want tea and you go to the kitchen and make it for them and then you come back and they're asleep you can't force them to drink the tea. Even though they said they wanted it and now they're asleep, you still can't make them drink the tea. And 
that it's such a good analogy because they give all these different examples and obviously from an adult perspective you can't just it's not that easy to just roll that out to people face to face but I think I was having um I was having a conversation with people about consent when it comes to things like choking and I was with two girls and one guy and all of them were against me that it needed to be a verbalized very clear I want you to do this they were all like no you can kind of gauge when it's the vibe and I'm like no because actually it's like the global statistics for sexual violence for women a 35 percent have experienced some form of sexual violence yeah so if we assume that 35 percent of people have experienced sexual violence and that's of reported sexual violence Mm. it's a really serious thing that happens when you experience sexual violence which is the vagus nerve connecting the throat and the vagina can be severed and can be damaged through the process of trauma because your body just tries to shut down parts of it to reduce the trauma and the effect of it and it's and it's physical effect on your body so if we assume that 35 percent of women have experienced sexual trauma their capacity to actually verbally consent can be massively reduced. So we need to be extra, extra careful. And this isn't not just, this isn't this snowflake culture. This is real life consent and real life experience that we kind of have to just assume that everyone's affected by trauma. And if we start to assume that everyone is affected and I know we shouldn't assume things, but if we just assume that everyone's been affected by trauma, then that means that we absolutely have to constantly check in. And I've only recently this year started to have sexual experiences where people are checking in with me during sex. And I'm like, oh my God, wow, this is amazing. And the fact that I'm 27 years old and I've only just started to experience people checking in with me. That's how sex should be done. We should be constantly checking in with one another because just because someone said that they like to be choked before doesn't mean that in that moment that they always want to be choked. Mm. Just because someone said that they like anal doesn't mean that you can just like lick their butt and shove your finger in without any prior warning. Like we have to just get used to consenting for everything. We should even consent people before we fucking touch them, before we just say, hey, how are you doing? And put our hands on them. Like I know when it's our friends, we kind of just, we just assume assume consent and we just assume that we have the rights to do things you know as children we were taught to kiss our aunties and uncles even the ones that we didn't like you know you have to kiss your auntie and uncle give them a hug give them a kiss like we are responsible for rewriting this and we are responsible mm-hmm. for ourselves and for having these conversations to make other people aware that we have to just constantly get consent and yeah it's annoying but we're gonna have to get fucking used to it because like we can't just keep re-traumatizing people because if you're having sex with someone and they've experienced sexual violence and they've not told you and they've not disclosed that to you but then you do something in the bedroom and they don't feel safe to say oh actually that's a bit too hard because as women we've been taught to be silent to stay safe like Mm -hmm. this is runs so so deep within women specifically that we have to just assume that we need consent for everything and then if everyone was to take that on board would be in a much safer, happier place. Consent is really sexy. If someone asks you, how does that feel? Does that feel good? It's, it's uncomfortable at first because you're like, shit, I've never been asked this question before. But we need to get used to it. Consent is sexy and we need to normalize it. But I don't really know how to, but we just need to. We just need to kind of assume that everyone's experienced trauma and that we need to, con- need to get them to actively consent. Um, and that's that on that. example but i remember um because i'm nigerian and um we don't do the kissing thing on both cheeks um mm. that you know a lot of british people and a lot of europeans do so um and also in, in my circle in ireland we also don't do that so when i first came to the uk and everyone like they would like they were like, I would take 10 steps back because you're in my personal space. And my friend's like, oh no, we're just trying to give you a kiss on the cheek. But at that point, it made me feel like a weirdo because every time someone would come and my friends already know me, I'm not that touchy-feely. So if you're coming up to me and you're trying to give me kiss, I'm like, excuse me, who are you? But um, yeah, just even that, it's a really silly example. But like I, at that point, people were making fun of me like, oh my gosh, she's a weirdo because every time we go to kiss her, she'd be like, what the fuck? Like I would throw hands, like, excuse me. But <laughs> even that, it took a while. Now I do it, but it took a while. Like a friend sat me down. I was like, no, we're just trying to give you a kiss. And you know, that's how we do it here. I was like, even that, 
I would appreciate if someone would have been like, hey, is it okay if I give you a kiss? I'm going to give you a kiss now. Just to go, hey, bye. I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, but maybe that's one good thing that's going to come out of coronavirus. Maybe we'll start to say, hey, can I touch you? Hey, can I hug yeah. you? Maybe we'll, actually, maybe we'll start to consent more about touching one another as a result of this absolute shit show. Like, that could be one <laughs> good thing to come from it because... I mean, I find it too because I'm, I am a very touchy-feely person and I, my language of love is to touch and to cuddle and I just want to hug everyone and I've been like that since I was a kid. But knowing what I know now, that's inappropriate and that's not appropriate for a lot of people. And knowing that survivors potentially have had the capacity to actively consent and communicate because of that vagus nerve connection, mm. we need to just be extra, extra sensitive and extra cautious of how we treat one another because it's not just this black and white written thing that we can just touch and kiss everyone, which mm-hmm. it would be nice if we lived in a perfect world and no one was traumatized that we could just do that, but we can't. So we just need to normalize it. And that I don't really know yeah. the route. I have that, one more. We can start. <laughs> I have one more question before I leave it to Sam, because I know Sam's got quite a few, but I just wanted you to reiterate the point where you mentioned that because as you said it, I was like, oh my gosh, shit, even I've done that before. But you know, when children, obviously you see, you've just said about like, you see, um, you tell a child, oh, go and kiss your auntie or go and give them a hug and they clam up and they don't want to. Like, why is it that we're not even listening like to the child's body or the child's, um, you know, how they feel if they don't want to kiss it, why kiss mm-hmm. the auntie or whatever? Why is it by force and how, how is that not, you know, something that is, so obvious to everybody like i i'm just thinking about it now like i've got a nephew and like even when um let's say my friends come oh go and give them a hug like but what if the child doesn't want to why Mm -hmm. like why have i not thought of that before i kind of feel a bit guilty actually but you know we we all do it we all do it and i think it's partly because we're kind of object we're all objectified and we're all objectifying other people and we're all just objects to get stuff from one another in so many ways and i know that's quite a big statement but you know we, I need, I need that child to hug me because I want to feel like that child loves me in this moment, and that's kind of what it is, isn't it? It's, it's entitlement. We have entitlement over one another. Mm-hmm. We can only stop this from like really being extra super cautious and extra conscious of of knowing that to actually just be able to really tap into your own consent and to your mm-hmm. own need, which children are quite good at. Children are like, I don't want to touch him. I don't want to kiss him. But like, as adults, we've just been so like manipulated and indoctrinated into be passive and polite that we do stuff that we're not comfortable with because we don't want to make it awkward. And children mm-hmm. don't quite have that understanding. And we've got, we can learn a lot from children in that respect. Indeed. That, you know, we really need to learn to do better, but it's, you know, it's generations of this bullshit. It's going to take a really long time to undo it, but we're the start of that process. I will never get my nephew to hug anybody. Just just for the record, this is like literally working me out, by the way. He, he just never has to hug anybody ever again, basically. Well, I think it's just to make it very clear to the child... You can hug people if you want to, but it you is your to. choice. And it's, you know, just taking, taking that power back, taking that choice and that power back, which is really hard because we've never had it, but mm. we can start with the children. Because if we start with them, they're going to start to ask for consent from their friends to touch their friends and stuff like that. Yeah. And it all starts with children. It all starts, well, not all, but it starts with education. And a big part of making big changes is through the younger generation. Mm. Um, and that, that's a consent with touching alone is, is a really big thing that we can teach children that hopefully we can um, pass on. Yeah. yeah. Well, for me, I'm not touchy-feely, so please nobody hug me. <laughs> and secondly, I don't like kids, so I don't even hug them. <laughs> oh, no, I feel you on that. I don't really like kids either. But yeah. like, there's been times where like, I've felt personally hurt when like a kid, I've got some friends that have kids and the kid's been like, oh, I don't want to give you a hug. And I'm like, oh my God, have I got mm. bad vibes? Have I got bad anything? <laughs> it's like, it's not about me. It's about the kid's fucking needs. Take yourself out and your own needs out the fucking picture and uh, just <laughs> ask, do yeah. you consent to this? Like, I really yeah. want to give you pleasure in this moment, but if you don't want it, I'm not going to fucking force it upon you. I would really yeah. love to give you a hug, but if you don't want it, then I don't want to give you the hug either because then I'd just be forcing upon you for my own selfish needs. And we need to get over that. We need to let ourselves down more. Like, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so just to wrap it up. So, Erica, you're now an um, independent sexual violence advisor. 
So if um, any of our listeners wanted to perhaps come to you and, you know, talk about their stories and their personal experiences, what's the best way for them to find you and to reach out? Um, The best way would be to contact me through the Divine Feminine Project Instagram, which is a crowdfund project that I started at the beginning of the year. Um, And my fundraising target is actually on Friday, which I'm still like £14,000 away from my target. So I'm looking at alternative ways to make it happen still um but that's a platform that people can contact me on because i'm also looking to work with survivors within my it's an art project um and i'm looking to work with survivors in a way to help empower them to step back into their power and to step into the divine feminine through different archetypes um so that's the best way to contact me and to um just follow what sort of what i'm doing with it within my practice um yeah that's the best way um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, um, I am a trained ISFA and I'm still just in the midst of finishing off my paperwork to get the actual qualification. So I'm not working within, um, within that field just yet, but I am working within survivors with, with my art practice um, and, you know, finding a way for me to bring my own, um, my own connection to it. That's not just talking about court and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Girls, do you have anything else you want to add before we end? No, just thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, like yeah. Honestly, we've learned so much and um, it's just been really eye-opening. And thank you so much for sharing your story and just empowering the shit out of us as well. So thanks for that. Oh, thank you. And, you know, it's, it's just really, I'm so grateful to have this platform to just talk about this because the more we talk about sexual violence, the more we talk about consent, the more normal it becomes as a conversation. And when we get rid of the taboo, we're opening the space for people to come forward and to seek healing because if you know if anything from this conversation has triggered you and you do want to seek healing there's so many different things you can do to make peace with whatever it is that's happened to you and to just know that there's a whole fucking world of other fellow survivors out there and that you're not alone because for me that was one of the hardest things that I felt so alone I felt like no one knew what I was going through and that's just not true there's so much support out there so if you are triggered by something or you know you have got something that you want to work through just know that there's so much out there and you're not alone so i just want to leave you with that and contact the divine feminine project let's like do shit we can't we can't rely on our government anymore we have to we have to make community action so yeah you're amazing wow yes thank you so much for talking to us yeah. yeah thank you for having me it's crazy that you found me the way that you found me it's just and I, I thought if i can just help one person feel less alone when i put that video on youtube just make one person feel less alone that's it that's all i want to do and you know years later it, it's turned into something else so um yeah thank you for reaching out and for giving me this space i really yeah. appreciate it thank you Thank you all so much. Um, you guys know the drill. I do this every week, but please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And make sure you follow Erica as well. As you heard, she has, you know, if you're going through something, she's definitely a good contact to have. Um, thank you all. And we will see you guys again in the next two weeks. Right, girls? Yes. yes. Next two weeks. See you. Can I get a bye-bye? Bye! Bye. <laughs> <laughs>